Amen. His love endures. What does it endure? Forever, right? Not just sometimes. His love endures forever. That's the series that we, were, we are in. His love endures forever. Welcome to a beautiful Sunday morning. It's great to see all your smiling faces. Uh, hey, we are going to do water baptisms at the end of service. If you're wondering what's under the, it's not a secret passageway or anything like that. It's a water baptismal. The water's warm. Uh, we have it covered up because I didn't want a kid to accidentally fall in it or anything. So uh, we will uncover it at the end of church. Uh, we're going to baptize our good man, Zach. It's going to be awesome. Uh, as I'm speaking this morning, if you're here and you feel the Lord moving on you to be baptized, I'll mention it again at the end of service. Uh, we would love to baptize you. We've got towels. Uh, we got all the stuff you need, and we would love to baptize you in water. What it is is an outward sign of what God is doing inside of us. So if you want to be baptized, uh, we'd love to be a part of that with you this morning. Uh, just grab uh, afterwards Pastor Wendy again at the end of service, and we'll get you lined out or find me as I walk off. and uh, It'll make sense as we get there. My wife, Chandra, and I were so grateful you chose this church to be a part of today. I know there's lots and lots of churches. Uh, we're just really glad that you chose this one, and we believe... I believe strongly that God brought you here for a reason. He doesn't make mistakes. He brought you here for a reason, and he wants to speak to you. So uh, thanks for coming, and I pray you'd have an open heart. Uh, if you're here last week, hopefully you remember that uh, we were in Psalm chapter 25. We made it through about the first, we made it through the first 10 verses. Uh, so you can get your Bibles ready, your devices, however it is you're going to have the scripture in front of you. Uh, if you missed last week, I want to give you just the tiniest bit of background uh, so you know kind of some context. Uh, this is a psalm that was written by David. A lot of people think all of the psalms are written by David, uh, but they all were not. In fact, we'll be talking about one coming up that was not, but not all of them were written by David. We don't know when he wrote this one, but we know David wrote it. And we do know also that he was in some kind of trouble. We don't know what the trouble is. He doesn't say, but by the content, we can tell that David was struggling, having trouble. And the reason this matters is because no matter what hard things that we face today, whether they are the result of other people, whether you are in trouble and it's completely self-inflicted, made a dumb decision and, and you're, you're suffering the consequences, uh, no matter what it is, this passage of scripture we're about to read, it can hold meaning for you today, no matter what reason you're in the trouble. I went into quite a bit more detail about the background last week. I'm not going to do that today. But if you want, you can go watch the video, catch the podcast and hear all of that stuff. Uh, but in this psalm, uh, we talked about this last week, and this is where we'll jump off. In this psalm, we see David saying with his words and with his actions, he's saying, I will look up. I'm not going to look my surroundings, Lord, my life. I'm going to look up. We noted two things that David does throughout this psalm, and those things, they show that he's placing focus up toward God, not on the trouble that surround him, not on the wind and the waves, but on the one who made the wind and the waves. See, David continues throughout these words that he's written down. We're going to read them together in a minute. He continues to do two things. He proclaims dependence upon God, and he avoids denying his own condition. He says, God, I, I depend on you. I need you in my life, and also, Lord, I know what I am. I'm a sinner, and I need your grace. And in doing so, David, he answers this question that kind of stood over the top of everything that we read last week. For himself, he answers this question, and that is, who is on the throne of his life? By writing this down, David answers the question that we all have to answer. Who is on the throne of my life? When the chips are down, when it really comes down to it, who's in charge? Everybody in the world has something or someone on the throne, whether they admit it or not. Everyone has something or someone on the throne, and their actions prove what actually is on the throne. We can say one thing, but our actions prove 
who or what is on the throne. So knowing that, let's jump into the rest of what David writes here. Uh, read Psalm 25, 11 through 22. I'm reading to you this morning out of uh, the NIV. Uh, Psalm 25, verse 11 is where I'm starting. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Just to remind you that we're kind of going through this a little differently than we usually do on Sundays. We're going through this verse by verse, just because it lends itself the best to that method. Uh, A little different than we do a lot of Sundays. The first verse we're looking at this morning is verse 11. Man, it is packed with rich meaning, with a phrase that uh, I love. And you see it all over the Bible, actually. There's these six words, and they really define who David is when his heart is right. And if you read David's story, you know his heart's not always right. But when his heart's right, these six words, they define who he is. And they should define us when our heart is right. The six words, for the sake of your name. For the sake of your name. You see, in our lives, as as people, as humans, there's a difference between wanting something for ourselves, even if that thing is good. There's a difference between wanting something for ourselves and wanting something uh, for someone else. And wanting something for ourselves by also submitting to the will of someone else. And our commitment to our spouse, a lot of you are married or have been married or hope to be married. Our commitment to our spouse, it can help us Understand this idea of for your name's sake. And my wife, I don't think, is in here today. She's helping with kids somewhere. But uh, there's many, many things I do for my wife because I think they are good things to do. Like, I think they are good, so that is why I do them. For example, uh, have any of you seen these uh, locks on doors that are keypad? You type in the key, you can get them at like Lowe's and you put them on your door. Anybody seen those those things before? Well, uh, we had never really uh, had one, but uh, we went to uh, visit my wife's sister, I think, and they had one. And um, My wife, she is amazing at many, 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 many things. One of the things she is not amazing at and she severely dislikes, she would be honest and tell you this, she really dislikes taking a giant ball of keys out of her purse and trying to find the right key for the door. I mean, she just really does not like it. Um, she will refuse to do it if she possibly can. So we've got a, a car. Uh, she drives a car that has a, the lock. It's a smart key. So you walk up and you touch the door and it unlocks. You don't even have to put the key in the ignition. You just get in. You push the button, right? It's, not, it's a Toyota Prius. It's nothing fancy. Uh, I was started thinking, because we needed to lock our door at where we lived, because we had neighbor kids that would, like, wander in or whatever, you know, just reasons you need to lock your doors. And... I started thinking, man, how can I make it so uh, we can lock our door but not make it frustrating for my wife? And I came up 
for, with this idea, with these keypad locks, right? So I started researching it. We went to Arizona, and we saw my wife's sister had one. It worked really well for them. So I went about installing that thing, right? You have to buy it. You, what I had to do was buy some, uh, like, wood chisels and carve out the right thing. And um, I think we can all agree it is an objectively good thing to have an effective way to lock the door at your house, right? You want to be able to lock your door. It's good. For sure. But the reason I went through the trouble of getting the lock and installing it and, uh, you know, I can do that stuff. I'm so slow with those sort of things. I watch a YouTube video and I follow the directions and I watch another YouTube video, right? Eventually I get it done. But the reason I went through the trouble of going to Lowe's or Home Depot, buying that thing and in- installing it, coming up with a password that everyone can remember, but not so easy that everybody can guess it, right? There's an art to guessing the password. One of the things you have to do if you have one of those locks is you got to keep batteries in it. I think this one uh, uses double A's, and you can tell uh, when the uh, battery starts to die because the noise gets different. It starts going, barely opening, right? I went through the trouble of making sure we actually have physical keys that match because my wife's biggest worry was, because uh, this thing, what it does is when you walk out, it locks after 30 seconds. And if you, if you type in the code, it'll stay open. If you type in a second time, it'll stay open, but... Um, I had to make sure we had physical keys that match, like our garage and, you know, the deadbolt and all that good stuff. The reason I went through all that trouble um, isn't just because I think it's a good thing. It's because my wife wants to be safe, but she doesn't like keys. So, yeah, I think it is a really cool thing. If there's a, a solution that involves technology, man, bring it on. But more than that, I actually undertook the project because it was for her. Now, as much as I love my wife, I know that somehow, in some way, my love for her pales in comparison to God's love for me. And that brings us back around to what David is saying here. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my sins. Just like installing the lock is an objectively good thing. David is asking for something here that is absolutely objectively good for him, the forgiveness of his sins. He's a human. He needs his sins forgiven. But even though it's good for him, and he knows full well it's good for him, that's not the reason he's asking. It's not the reason he's asking. You see, David is so submitted to God in this that he's asking for his sins to be forgiven, not for his own benefit, but so that God will be glorified for the sake of your name. Man, there's a difference. And friends, I'm here to tell you, when we live for the sake of his name, every decision we make is influenced by submission to God for the sake of his name. And as we've been noting throughout Psalms, we see dependence on God from David here. But we also see in this same verse, it's beautiful for the sake of your name, Lord. We also see David, he refuses to deny his own condition. He says right here, Lord, forgive my sin. And then he adds this thing on it, though it is great. Lord, would you forgive my sin even though it's really bad? You see, church, the more that we mature as Christians, the more we realize the need for grace. I'm here to tell you, the closer you get to God, the more you will realize how much you need his grace. I believe that one of the greatest lies the enemy tells the world, the enemy tries to tell us, is that the goal of life is just to be a good person. It's not bad to be a good person, but I believe a huge lie of the enemy is that the whole goal of life is just be a good person. 
And I think a huge lie he tells is that everybody is mostly good. Because I think we see in the Bible that, not, that everyone is not mostly good. What we do see is that everyone has a need for forgiveness. The enemy would have us think we don't need it, right? You're good enough by yourself. You're a good person. But what God would say is that everybody has a need for forgiveness. And remember, I keep going back to this, I know, but realize who it is that is writing this right here. The, the person who's saying right here, Lord, forgive my sin, though it is great. Realize who it is that's writing it, David, a man after God's own heart. But you see, what makes David a man after God's own heart, it's not that he is good. It's that he is at least at this point in his life, he's honest enough to say, David, a man after God's own heart. He's honest enough to say, Lord, forgive my sin, though it is great. And Lord, even more, would you do it for your sake and not mine? You see, friends, there's power when we look up and we realize our need for grace. We realize that it's not about being good, but it's about submitting to God's grace. Verse 12 through 14, uh, who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Within these uh, three verses right here, verse 12, 13, 14, I want to show you three things that happen when we fear the Lord. Well, verse 12 starts out with that question. Who is it that fears the Lord? Now, I just want to talk about that phrase for a second. Fear the Lord, it sounds much more scary than it actually is. So the fear of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, it's often used uh, as an expression for just having a soft heart towards God, for being willing to learn from him. That's what fearing the Lord in the Old Testament means. And the reason for pointing that out is so that we understand uh, fear of the Lord does not mean that we are cowering in fear because we might be struck down at any moment. It's not that kind of fear. We talked last week about how David, he called upon the covenant that God had made with his forefathers. And though there was judgment in the Old Testament, and it was swift and terrible at times, we're also told this, uh, quite a bit further forward in James 2.23. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And catch this part. And he was called God's friend. That's the context for what it means in the Old Testament to fear God. So God, I just want you to know, God is not up there asking, who is it that is just waiting for me to smite them today? Just bring my fist down on them. What he's asking is, where are those whose heart is open to what I want to say? So when he asks here, who is it that fears the Lord? He's asking, who are those whose heart is open to what I want to say? And in these few verses written down by David, we see these few things that happen when we, as God's people, when we fear God, and just read when our heart is soft towards him. You see, when we fear God, he shows us the path that we should choose. This is what every single person uh, on earth wants to know, the path they should choose. Even if they don't know it or they won't admit it, everyone is wondering what it is they should do and where they should go next. This is why about every five years a really popular movie about time travel comes, back, comes out, right? We all know the best one is the one that came out in the 80s, the original Back to the Future, right? There's no argument about that. The original DeLorean, man, that's the best one. 
In any time travel book or time travel movie, they just get more confusing from there, right? But there's a reason society is just really hooked on this because we all want to know what the next thing is to do. What it is we're supposed to be, where we're supposed to go. And as humans, we can sometimes get obsessed with getting it just perfectly. We'll try to mitigate and control every single circumstance so it turns out exactly like we hope. We will come up with our idea and we will try and control everything so it'll be exactly like we hope. And if that's the way that you were wired, then I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. God makes all people in different ways. But the point is that we do it because we want to make sure we're headed down the right path. Lord, what is it I'm going to do next that's going to make sure I'm taken care of, make sure my family's taken care of, make sure I have the job that's going to fulfill me? But I'd love to submit to you this morning that receiving good direction depends on calling on someone who knows the way. If you're going to get good directions, you have to ask someone who knows the way. If you want direction in Boise, you're going to need to go ask somebody that's from Boise. You need to ask Patrick here, or Bill Spicklemeyer is not here this morning. I remember talking to Bill Spicklemeyer, and he was explaining to me how the roads here used to be cattle roads, and that's why they're not straight and all that sort of stuff. You want to ask one of those guys because they've pretty much got it memorized. You want to ask directions from someone uh, uh, who knows the way. Dad, I threw you under the bus last week. I explained how you used to give me vague directions so I'd get lost on purpose. (laughs) But if we want direction in this life that God made, we must look for it from the one who made it and knows it best. And God assures us right here in verse 12 that when our heart is soft towards him, he shows us the path to choose. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. And if you're here this morning, you're thinking, man, that sounds awesome. I would love it if God would tell me where to go, but it's never happened to me. I serve the Lord, never feel like he's guided me. Well, I believe wholeheartedly that God speaks to us physical circumstances in this life that we ask God to speak and we're hoping for an audible voice but then he puts an obvious sign right in front of us those who've been serving the Lord longer than me they they would attest to that there's this song lyric from the 90s that has always stuck with me uh, from this Christian band they said if you just keep opening doors then I promise that I'll keep testing the locks you see when we fear God and our heart is soft towards him He guides us towards the right lock to test. He does. He guides you towards the the right job listing. He guides you to what you think is a chance encounter on the street, but really it was him guiding you the whole time. He guides you to the right opportunity to provide for your family. Guides you to the right opportunity to serve your community, to serve in your church. When we fear God and our heart is soft towards him, he guides us toward the right lock to test. And there's nothing wrong with rattling the door a little bit. The thing's locked, man. You move on to the next one. Verse 13 tells us that when we fear the Lord, God takes care of us. God takes care of us. Now, before you get too worked up, I'm not going to all uh, name and claim it on you here. If you know what name and claim it is, then you know the reason I'm not. (laughs) But it says right there, we have to reconcile this. It says right there, though, they will spend their days in prosperity, those who fear the Lord, and their descendants will inherit the land now you could take a very narrow view of what this means spend their days in prosperity descendants will inherit the land you could take a very narrow view of it if you want to and you could just assume that all it's talking about is money 
But I believe that God's view of people prospering is much bigger and longer than just financial gain. God's got a much bigger and better picture than that. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, but uh, it's not saying that fearing God, having a soft heart towards him, automatically makes you rich. God, I've said this uh, other place, I don't think I've said it here, God's not a cosmic vending machine. Where you're like, Lord, I was really good to my neighbor, that is uh, number D3 on the vending machine, D3 equals BMW 3 Series. If I'm extra nice, then it moves to D5, and that's the BMW 5 Series. That's not the way that it works. But what we can stand on is that when we fear God and our heart is soft towards him, God will take care of us and we'll have whatever we need. And here we run into a little bit of that tension that we've alluded to over the weeks recently. Uh, God offering his grace, it's not dependent on us being good. That part is freely given. God does not give you his grace because you're good. It's freely given to us no matter what. But it is plain here that living according to the way that God instructs leads to blessing. So here's the kicker, and I think the thing that brings it together is this. God's blessing is what he chooses and not what we choose. So yeah, we might choose option D3, the BMW 3 Series, but we don't get to decide what God's blessing is. So prosperity for my family and my descendants, my kids, it might look different for me than it does for you. And we have to understand it might look a little bit less, like a lot less, like a large bank account and more like what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 5, which is this, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, the thing about that promise from Matthew is that it's eternal, right? Inheriting the earth, that's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. You might not see it tomorrow or the next day. That promise, when we fear God, it's not that we'll have every material possession under the sun. It's just that God will take care of us. He'll take care of our family. He will make sure we have what we need when our heart is soft towards him. And it's kind of awesome when our, our will aligns with his, though, and, and he gives us the desires of our heart, and it's a cool thing. That happens. That's a story. That's a, a thought for another time. Finally, the third thing. When we fear the Lord, he confides in us. New Living Translation says this, in this verse it says, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. So just as God called Abraham friend, we read it earlier, when our heart is soft towards him, listen to what, what the Bible is saying, when our heart is soft towards him, God becomes our friend and he confides in us. Man, catch the gravity of that. God, the creator of the universe, becomes your friend and he confides in you when your heart is soft towards him. I actually really love the way the New King James says it. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Wow, what a beautiful truth that is. All of you, I'm certain, everyone in this place has a close friend that you confide in. And you've probably got secrets with those people that you will take to the grave. God may know those secrets, but no one else needs to know them, right? We've all got friends like that, family like that. And I've found that uh, in our life, Chandra and I's life, the closest friends we have, they actually come through time and experience. We've got friends, you know, over, uh, you know, we've been married 15 years, the 15 years of ministry uh, that we've been married, dated a couple years before that. So we've got friends over that almost 20 years who we have seen so much stuff with them, even if we don't see them as much as we often did. 
Uh, we trust them with things that we'd never say to anybody else. And they trust us with things that uh, they'd never say to anyone else. And when we see them, it's like no time has passed. You all have friends like that. And that's what it means to confide in someone to share a secret. You realize the power of what David is saying here, that when we fear God, when we have this deep uh, relationship with God that is gained over time. See, these relationships that are important and long-lasting, you don't gain them overnight. You gain, you gain them over time. When we have a deep relationship with God that's gained over time, when we know him because of the life we've lived with him, then God does an incredible thing, and he confides in us. He shares secrets with us. Man, what's a secret? A secret is something that the person who's sharing it, they don't share it with anybody else. If they shared it with everyone, it would no longer be a secret. God shares secrets with us that he does not share with anyone else when we fear him. And on top of that, it says here, he gives us a deeper understanding of his covenant each day. Man, grace and forgiveness and God's compassion, it's deep and mysterious sometimes. But when our heart is soft towards him, he confides his secrets in us and he gives us a deeper understanding of grace and forgiveness. I believe so deep that we don't only keep it to ourselves, but we share it to others. We become those deep waters. So friends, when we fear the Lord, and by doing so, we proclaim our dependence upon him, like we've been talking about. When we fear the Lord, he shows us the right path. He brings us provision. He confides in us, even the secrets of his covenant. And when we fear the Lord, we place him on the throne of our life. We're saying, God, I'm looking up. We look up instead of, well, sorry. We look up instead of uh, around each day. Man, what a beautiful few verses of uh, talking about what it looks like to place our hope in God. After proclaiming that trust, though, David, he launches into something that is really familiar to us as Christians. If you've been to church ever, you've done this. David, verse 15 through 22, he begins to list out his prayer requests. He's like, Lord, for the sake of your name, would you forgive me? Uh, Lord, uh, these things happen for those who fear you, but here is my long list of stuff that I need help with. Look at verse 15 through 22. Just think of it as a prayer request list as I read through it again. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Now just before he lists his requests out, David, once more, he proclaims his trust in God. He says, verse 15, Lord, I keep my eyes on you. I keep looking up. Because you rescue me from the traps of my enemies. Now, being saved from a trap or a snare or something like that, that's all over Psalms. We see David talk about that all the time. And it's a really common request because when we get caught in a trap that was not of our own doing, we can't get out unless someone helps us. If you get caught in a true trap, something that surprises you, you can't get out unless someone helps you. 
And David is saying that he, can, he knows he can continue to trust God because he's been rescued from those sticky situations over and over and over again. And sometimes that happens, friends. You are fearing the Lord. Your heart is soft towards him. We're just cruising along in the will of God. We think we found that wonderful path that he's laid out for us. And out of nowhere, we're just caught in a trap. Face fierce opposition to what you know you're supposed to be doing in your life. But you see, when we fear the Lord and our heart is soft towards him, we can be assured that he'll fight for us and he will release us from the trap each time. He can reach the release thing that, that is just out of reach, you know? So before presenting here's a quest, David, one more time, he just reaffirms his faith in God's sovereign hand over his life. God, I know you've got this. I know you can release me if indeed I do get caught. Well, let's look uh, just for a minute at David's requests this morning. And I believe every one of us, if, we, if our hearts are open to him today, uh, we're going to identify with something that David has written down. I think I have a list of the prayer requests as we go through these. In verse 16, David prays, Lord, I'm lonely and afflicted. Lord, I'm, lonely, I'm alone. I'm in deep distress. All of us, if we're honest, we can understand what it feels like to be alone. Maybe this morning you're here and you are in a time of your life where, man, it's a new journey. And it's not bad necessarily, but everyone that you previously had alongside you, they seem far away. Maybe you knew you're walking into a new thing. You knew it might be kind of difficult. And you're like, you know what? It's okay. I walk into this hard thing. I got these people right next to me. But suddenly you look around and you're like, oh boy, it's lonely in here. It's just me. Maybe you are surrounded by others. But the condition of your heart and your mind is that you feel like you're alone in a crowded room. Well, what God would say to every one of us this morning through his son Jesus is this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lord, I'm lonely and afflicted. I'm alone and in deep distress. And God says, come to me. I will give you rest. Verse 17, David prays, Lord, would you relieve the trouble of my heart? God, the pain that I feel is too much to bear. I, I felt this for long enough, and I can't handle it any longer. Maybe this morning you are here, and you're, man, you're the opposite of alone. You feel overwhelmed by everything that needs to be done and fixed. You've got so much stuff to do that the list never ends. And whenever you think you've made it through and you come up for air, there's a whole other list of challenges that gets added. And all of that, it brings you nothing but anxiety. All you do is worry and you don't rest because you're worried. But what God would say to us this morning as his people through his son Jesus is come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 18, David prays something that's gotten kind of familiar in this psalm. Lord, do you feel my pain? Lord, you please forgive me of my sins. Maybe this morning you're here and that is you. That's the cry of your heart. Lord, I didn't mean to, but I know I've gone so far from you. I meant to be close to you. I didn't mean to get far from you, but I turned and I realized what I've done. God, would you please forgive me? Lord, I've tried everything else I can think of to take the pain that I feel in my heart away. But today, Lord, would you be the healer of my heart? That's the request that David's making. 
And what God would say to us this morning through his son Jesus is come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. David, in verse 19, David prays something really familiar. Lord, look how many people are against me. Lord, look around. Everyone around me is against me. Not only do I feel like I'm fighting all on my own, but all I see around me are enemies. Maybe this morning uh, you're here, and man, if the, the truth is you are doing your best to fight the good fight. You're following the Lord. You're doing your best to fight the good fight, but there is so much opposition to living a godly life, to leading your family in a way that honors God. That it seems hard. Well, what God would say to us this morning through his son Jesus, you know by now is come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 20, David prays an honest prayer. God, will you please guard my life? Lord, as I follow you, um, please just, you know, don't let me be disgraced. I know that there's people out there who are there against me. But would you help me not to be disgraced? Lord, would you come to me? Would you be my shelter and my strong tower? And this morning, God would say to us through his son, Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And you might be wondering this morning, whether you're here or you're watching online, you might be wondering how it is you find that rest from Jesus. Thinking that sounds really nice. Well, the answer lies here in verse 21, where David does this thing that we keep coming back to over and over again as we study the Bible. He proclaims his dependence on God. And he says, God, my hope is in you. Something I believe that God wants every one of us to know this morning, especially those of us who have been serving him for a while, is that integrity and honesty protect us. Read what David writes there. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. You see, when we hope in the Lord, and we can live in a way that's honest, and we can place the power in God's hand to take care of us instead of having to do everything ourselves. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. We're going to get ready to uh, pray and move towards water baptism here in a few minutes. But Sometimes it's hard to, to uh, define what repentance looks like, but true repentance looks like not just saying the prayer, although God does an amazing thing when we do say the prayer, does something in our hearts, but true repentance looks like um, actions that change. And when we decide to make a change in our life and let integrity and honesty protect us and guide us, we live in a way that's honest, we place the power in God's hands to take care of us, that's when that blessing and that assurance begins to come. And don't want to miss this very last thing too. We've seen this final verse that David, he also prays this on behalf of his, his people. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. He's praying it for himself, but he's also praying it for the people that he represents, the people that God has given him to take care of. This morning, we can do the same thing, friends. We personally can place our hope in Jesus. We can also pray and we can sing this over all of our family. 
This morning, as we get ready to prepare for water baptism, in a minute, we're going to worship over our hearts and over our people for a few minutes. But I want to make sure there's no one here that um, they need to take the chance today to place their hope in Jesus. Because it says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Romans 10, 13 tells us this, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, friends. If you were here this morning, I just want to give every single person a chance before we baptize in water. If you're here and you're, maybe you need to rededicate your life, you know, you've known God before, but this morning sitting in this place, you realize you're far from him. And you want to walk in to the rest he can give you because your heart's weary. Maybe you're here and you've never known God before. You want to become a Christian today, call upon the name of the Lord. That's if you fall into either of those categories this morning, when I count to three, would you raise your hand so I can pray with you? One, two, three. Awesome, thank you. I'm gonna pray over you this morning before we get ready to worship. Lord, thank you for your people. I thank you for your church that loves you, uh, is after you. I pray for every heart that's represented in this place, uh, that we would be a people uh, that comes to you. Uh, we live in a way that uh, shows, shows our life fears you. Lord, that we would begin to live our life in a way more than we ever have uh, for the sake of your name. Lord, would you forgive our sin for it is great for the sake of your name. Would you go before us, provide for us miraculously for the sake of your name. Lord, would you bring salvation, forgiveness of sins for the sake of your wonderful name. Mm. Lord Jesus, would you let every single person that's in this place, just like David did in Psalm 25, um, would you help them uh, to come to you, give their heavy burdens to you? Would you give them rest this morning? Those, Lord, that they've been fighting the good fight and they need your presence and your rest, would you give it to them this morning, Lord? Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, here's what we're going to do. Uh, the worship team is going to lead us as we sing. And uh, I'm going to go change. Zach, who's going to get baptized, he's going to go change. If you're here this morning, and as we've spoken, uh, talked through the Word of God, if you're here and you're like, man, I need to get baptized. What is, baptism is, is making a public profession of your faith before men. An outward sign of what God has done inside of you. It's not magic, but it is an outward sign of what God uh, does in us. If that's you this morning and you want to be baptized, even if you weren't on our list, uh, would you track down Pastor Wendy back there? Um, she'll point you in the right direction and point you my way. Um, but would you stand this morning? We are going to worship uh, as we uh, prepare to transition towards water baptism this morning. Let's sing.